I distinctly remember hearing someone yell, stop that van. From CBC Podcasts, an investigation into how young men are being recruited and radicalized on the internet. And she asked me if I was friends with a guy named Alec Manassian. By a new supercharged form of hate. On Facebook, police say he wrote the incel rebellion has already begun. A dark online subculture that's spilling over into the real world. Boys Like Me, available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. For almost 10 years, the Ukrainian-Canadian singer Mariska Marchik has been supporting her home country by using her voice. She and her husband, Mark, make up the band Balaclava Blues. They're also part of the group The Lemon Bucket Orchestra. They sing about war, and they sing about Russia, and they are raising money for the war effort in Ukraine. But recently, Mariska took a big step and joined that fight Literally, she is just back in the last couple of days from a tour as a combat medic in Ukraine, and she is with me in studio. Marichka, good morning. Good morning. When did you get back? A couple of days ago. I feel like I actually I didn't come back because my all my brain, all my thoughts, and like actually I'm like on my phones through the night because of time difference uh, with my battalion. So I don't know if my body is here, but you know my thoughts, my feelings, my soul—it's there. It must be really strange being back here, having been where you were. It is. It is strange to be, always strange to be in a safe place when everybody like happy. Mm. In a, but I still, you know, I hear like some sounds and like, oh my god, it's air alert. You know, everyone have a PTSD <laughs> sounds. PTSD. That, of course, yeah. yeah. You've been you've been involved in supporting Ukraine for a long, long time. But why did you decide you wanted to go over? Like I was thinking of. I know that I did, we did a lot and raised a bunch of money during the last nine years, but I always feel that it's not enough for me personally. Is Marichka is a human being, and I know there is not enough people now in Ukraine because like all volunteers already fighting in Ukraine for the last nine or like two years of intense war situation. I think like I can do more, and I plan to take a courses of combat medic to to be able to help. What were you hearing from from people before you decided to go? What were you hearing from your friends and your family? Oh, in everybody, Ukraine? everybody says like ninety percent of people says I'm stupid. Uh, so there, you were stupid. Oh yeah, like like why I'm doing that? Like some people in Ukraine. Uh, who already fight and said, Marichka, you're so sensitive and emotional. Do your music. Don't go. You don't know what to expect. It's so hard to carry like injured bodies in a bulletproof vest. It's physically hard. Don't go. And lots of my people in Canada, the most mm, reasonable uh, argument was like, man, you have four kids here. Yeah. Like why, why you would go? Like just don't do that. And so what did you, you have four kids here. You have yeah, a husband have four who's kids. here. Yeah. And so uh, how, how do you understand that? How, how do you make something like that a rational decision? Well, two of them, it's already adults and they know what I'm doing, who I am, who is their mother. And actually my middle daughter, Sophia, she, in, in her grade 11, she, she wrote uh, like her graduation work 
uh, about people who she's proud of, and it was me mm. and my husband. So I know they will understand me. Of course, they're upset that uh, and worried about me going to the world. But I already I was this person for many many years defending my land, my people, starting in revolution of dignity in 2014. But did you think about the cost? I mean, did you think about what you're putting yourself into? Of course, yeah. of course I am. Of course, I know, especially like my youngest one, Maya, she's five years old, and my teenager boy, they need mama around, and they miss me a lot. But also, I was thinking, like, what are we reading in a books when we're learning, like, literature? Who is our heroes? It's not mama who making borscht and every single day at home. It's usually people who do, like, crazy stuff. It's why it makes me think, but maybe this is, this is my way to do things that I truly believe that I have to do in my life. And I'm pretty sure, maybe not now, but later my kids will be proud of me. What was it like when you when you got there? I mean, you know the country really well. And the country is very different now, certainly, than it was yeah. a couple of years ago. It's always easy to be in the center of like this like cyclone <laughs> of a war. It was easy to be in a revolution in the middle of like when the snipers were shooting people than to sit at home and watching it in TV. It's always easier to be there than to be here and like think and think about that. What do you if, mean? How, how is it possible that it's easier to be there in the middle of the cyclone, as you I say, than here? I don't know how to explain it. It's easy because you're with people who already going through that, and you under- see and you understand more. You know what to be prepared because when you see the like the square picture on the news, so your brain still keep thinking and creating a picture and a word more than you like already there, and you see see it and feel it. So when you stepped out of, I mean, you get there by the train, I suppose? Sky, of course, sky closed under Ukraine. You have to go uh, to Poland, to Warsaw, and then took two trains mm-hmm. to just to Kiev, and then one from Kiev, 48 hours to get there. When you step out of the train, and you, what did you see? It's different. So I went in the summer to visit my brother in the war zone. And it was so many happy people around just living their like last day every single day in their life. I can feel it. They're trying to be happy. And he, now I didn't feel this happiness. Maybe because of fall. <laughs> I don't know. The people more tired and upset. So it's every single time I'm like, arriving, I see the different vibe. What about seeing the scale of destruction? When I visited my brother now, like so, he is fighting in a uh, village, and they're staying in a totally destroyed abandoned village where it's like no, uh, no safe houses, no people, like everything, like a crazy ruined. And this is like a horror movie. You're like your brain can't believe that it's real when you're there. You're just looking at the, <laughs> through their car window and you just can't believe you're watching that. It must be really hard knowing the country as well it's as you do. It's more weird than hard. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks God I didn't see any of my friends, like, like didn't see them, like shoot it, but lots of my friends died in this war. So, yeah. What kind of training did you get before... Before you become a combat medic. This course I took, it was very, very special because our instructors was uh, experienced combat medics like in a war. Mm. So they not only teach what what they're supposed to teach, 
by by like rules by the program they also share their real experience what they do and that sometimes it's very very different from what we're supposed to do to do by by book what do you mean no for example uh we are as a um, combat medic not allowed to give like any uh drugs or any medicine but Usually you have it with you, and if there, when there's like no chance, you're using that. Why aren't you allowed to give when people are, are it's injured like or dying? It's certain rules, the... you know, in the certain zone. Like my job is just like you to put tourniquet or to check to check to check the, to check the uh, yes, and uh, to to take these uh, bodies <laughs> to the next station, and in the next station, uh, if it's available usually not in Ukraine. So I kind of officially not allowed to do that, but, you know, there is no rules when you're in the field. <laughs> you just said one thing that was interesting, which is that you take the the injured soldier onto the next station yeah. where they would get the drugs, yeah. the medicine. But you said that's not available in Ukraine. Oh, usually not. By book, what we're learning, it's like some magical helicopter appears and you're carrying like with a bunch of help, you're carrying body and the things that are already ready, everything is ready. It's, there's no helicopters. Like my instructors kind of laughing when they read in this book because like this thing just not available. Because it's a war zone. No, because it's Ukraine. Nobody provided it. Like you have to buy it and mm. it's in, in US and it's crazy expensive, mm. of course. What does that mean for the people who are injured? Well, this is a life cost. How fast you can provide them help they need it. It's, it's why in this war, it's lots of people just who lost their legs and arms. Mm. It's a crazy percentage. You were with a tank platoon mm -hmm. for a few weeks? It just happened because my friend of mine, who I know like for the last <laughs> 13 years, he became a commander. And I saw his post on Facebook that he asked people to join his, to volunteers to join his platoon. And I says, man, I'm coming. <laughs> I can be a medic. And he says, you know what, don't, he, he says, don't come. Yeah. Like we're in the first place. Uh, and I told him like, I, I will come anyways to your platoon or to not, whatever. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I know you well, you will come for sure. So it's better you will be with me because I will take care of you. What was that like? It's, so interesting. Like I never see tanks in a battlefield. I never see tanks like, fighting. It's a whole new world that I never, never, ever see. And now like, I have a feeling like I know everything about tanks. And it's beautiful. What's, I, what's beautiful about it? Like everything. Because I saw their training in the middle of the night, like under the sky with a lot of stars. I saw it. And this is like fog when the when this it looks insanely beautiful. Actually, everybody talking about this like war, fire, shooting looks insanely beautiful, and your brain can't believe that as you're watching it, and it's beautiful. The sound of it, the how it looks like. I took a bunch of pictures, and it's it's fantastic. It looks beautiful. And awful at the same time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Awful and beautiful. So this awfulness and beauty. I never see it. I never see it before. It's so, so interesting. Were you scared when you were there? No. No? Mm -mm. Like I told you, as soon as you're there, you're not scared. But of course, when you're in a crazy like shooting, everybody's scared. There's no 
no no people that is not scared. Commanders, experienced guys, like new, just guys who just came. Everybody's scared. It's very scary. Tell me about the the people who are part of this platoon. They're young men, right? There's mostly 20 plus. 20 plus. Mm-hmm. So who are they? Just normal, regular people. They'll never expect themselves <laughs> to be in a war and to fight and defend their land. And I never think about that because for me, like revolution of, of dignity in 2014, then became a war. It's like protesters became uh, fighters. Mm-hmm. But these guys, they were small. They was in a grade three when it was revolution of dignity. And for me, when I just realize it, I think, oh, my goodness, they have no idea <laughs> how it looks like. They were young. And now they're like 19, 20, 21. And I was super surprised just to watch their eyes. I took a bunch of portraits just by my phone. And I'm watching them, just sitting and watching these eyes, these faces. And I can't believe how motivated these faces are. It's it's crazy. Where where did they get this motivation? Like how strong they are. I know it will be very, very scary time for them and in the different situation they will go through. But now, like what I saw, it makes me very, very happy for my people. What do they think of you? What sort of relationship did you end up having? It was interesting. Them? Yeah, I only the woman there and when I appeared <laughs> And commander said, oh, this is Marinchka, and left me. And, uh, <laughs> and it was... With a bunch of 19-year-olds <laughs> in a tank. And like, who, who you are? And I was thinking like, oh, my God, who am I? Like, And I, I just told them, okay, I will be your mom. <laughs> you told them you were going to be... I told, yeah, I told them. Okay, guys. No, I told like I am your everything. <laughs> I am your mom. <laughs> and you know what? When we, like, later in the month... They tell me, like, they really felt that I'm their mom and our, their commander is dad. <laughs> they feel that we're a family now, and they write in me every single day now, Marichka, when you will come back? <laughs> like, we miss you. And it's hard for me to understand it because I have family here. I have my kids, my real kids. You know, I have a feeling, like, it's a real feeling that I have a kids there, like 29 of them. And this is this is responsibility. It's hard to be everywhere and to leave one family and choose another one. It's not easy. And the day I I, I left them and went to Canada, they moved to the part that is like it's very very intense. And so, how are they now? Do you know? It's not. So they lost to. Um, two cars in one day and it's like now it's a winter it's like freezing cold that then they can't find houses like empty houses to live like warm places they like using their car to sleep in for the first days crazy freezing there right now and now like I'm <laughs> last two days we just I came to um, be able to perform in a blog festival that my husband organized and uh, to raise money for my platoon and we did it 
So like yesterday, I bought another cars for them, like two cars I already sent. And is that what like people? I mean, what, what are people? What do people need right now there who are in Mostly that position? Mostly to be able to move, to, yeah. to care everything they needed to to fight. So you're raising money so that they live. can buy a car. Yeah, they buy using cars, and this is like you know you buy a car and then it can be just totally destroyed next day. And the cars, when you see like in the website, it's usually. You could like call in the guy who's selling used car, and it's already disappeared. You have to catch it, and this car in a very bad condition, <laughs> mm. of course, because like nice cars already gone. Everything is gone so fast, because like same with the drones. You know, you losing it in a windy day, easy like one, two, three, and it costs like five thousand dollars. Same the price of using car. It feels really like. This far into the war, it's like people are piecing things together. Mm -hmm. Like you're just kind of grabbing whatever you can. Yeah. Look, now I like just collect the requests, uh, like to bring them because I already bought the tickets to come back. I, I will bring as much as I can, like warm winter jackets and gloves, like medical supplies, everything. I mean, the war has gone on for a few years now, and it's getting to winter. And you talked about the difference between how people were in the summer um, and the way people are now. Do you worry that that, that weariness, that fatigue is, is going to change how people think about the war in Ukraine? Of course, people get tired and it's already two years of intense. Like, can you imagine how, how many million of women living with their kids now in Europe without any abil ability to see their husbands? It's a bunch of ruined lives. A bunch of divorces, and like in these two years, it's insane. Do you think people are thinking differently about the war? Do people in Ukraine want it over because of everything that's gone on, because of the fatigue and and the strain that it's causing on their lives? Mm, I don't know. It's kind of both. It's it's kind of like huge motivation, like from this young people to fight until the end, and and this tiredness that already affect mm. everyone. What about outside? I mean. There are, there's another war that's unfolding right now in the Middle yes. East, and a lot of attention has been diverted of course. to that. What does that mean that's for like people in Ukraine? natural in a world. Look how many wars happened all the time. Attentions is always switched. I know it like by searching the news uh, when the revolution of dignity happened. Like it was like, then it was a war in Syria and all attention, they already switched. This is like natural, natural way. And what we have to, <laughs> we have to deal with that and be able just to think about own resources, no matter how much we have right now. What about, well, when you hear talk of trying to push toward a settlement, mm -hmm. trying to figure out a way to negotiate with Vladimir Putin, with Russia, what goes through your mind? Having been there, being right on the front lines, what, what goes through your mind when you hear that there's a push to try to figure out how to stop this war? Mm. I don't know. You know, we're just fighting for our land, for our freedom, for our people. And with, with just evils who came to our land in a just people's level, nobody think about that. How optimistic are you or hopeful that this war will end anytime soon? I don't know. I want to be optimistic. I have to be optimistic because otherwise, <laughs> you know, it will not help me if I was thinking, okay, there is like no way to fight this like huge country, especially I always telling people just look at their map, like, how like, big is Russia and how small is Ukraine? And well, like, we're already fighting for two years. For me, it's already win. Even if we lost this war and lost this battle, here inside, like in general, we already win. 
Because because of this is you know we're fighting with love. We're not come to somebody's places to take their land or the people's life. Ukrainians not fighting in the Russian side. Mm. They fighting on their land like so so hard with a huge passion. And it's not only words. I saw it. Uh, so for me, it's already winning. We're not fighting with hate. You're going back. You said you already have a ticket booked, mm -hmm. December 10th. Mm -hmm. What does your family think of that? Nah, you know. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound particularly yeah, supportive. They're not, <laughs> they're not happy about that, of course. So, but I know it will take time for them to that just accept it. Because I told them already, it's not discussable. I'm, I'm going. So let's figure out how to make a kid's life here like easier. But you know what? I think they're in a peaceful place. They have a bunch of grandmothers. They have my husbands. They're like busy at school. They will be fine. Are you going to be fine? I will. <laughs> I will be fine. Take care of yourself and be safe. Thank you so much. And thanks for being here. Thank you. Marichka Marchik is a Ukrainian-Canadian musician. She performs with bands, the Balaclava Blues and the Lemon Bucket Orchestra. And she is now, as you heard, a combat medic heading back to Ukraine. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Кстати говоря, Россия никогда не отказывалась от мирных переговоров с Украиной. That's Russian President Vladimir Putin in his first G20 meeting since the war with Ukraine began. He's saying Russia has never refused peace negotiations with Ukraine. Alexander Lenoshka is a political science professor at the University of Waterloo. Alexander, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. We heard Vladimir Putin this week say we should think about how to stop this tragedy. Is that, from your perspective, a signal from him that he wants to try to figure out how to end this war? Well, it's some tragedy when he's responsible directly for the devastation he caused to uh, Ukraine. I think he's trying to avoid responsibility in that respect. But in terms of what it signals, I would suggest it doesn't really mean much. Uh, Russia is still undertaking offensives across various parts of the battlefield. It's been stocking up munitions. It has been stocking up cruise missiles purportedly to target Ukraine critical infrastructure again. He's still sending many men to their deaths. Uh, there seems to be no sign of abating from the Russian side. And as such, uh, I would not take too seriously um, what gesture he is making towards peace. Why would he make that statement now? It's not clear. Again, he's been making similar statements in the past, so it's not really anything new. We should bear in mind that even as early as March 2022, there were negotiations between Russia and Ukraine to settle the conflict. However, those negotiations came for naught. In fact, the Ukrainian side was poisoned. And as much as Ukraine, as long as Ukraine, uh, Russia is going about um, reconstituting its military forces, gathering material for the war effort, and even breaking what agreements there are, there's no reason for the Ukrainian side to believe that Russia is truly, seriously, and genuinely 
interested in peace. Do we know how much support there is within Russia for this conflict as it drags on? It is hard to tell because of the authoritarian nature of that country. Survey data are going to be very much compromised by the political realities there. Nevertheless, we do have sufficient evidence to believe that since the invasion broke out, that at least a majority of Russian uh, citizens have supported the conflict, that um, there might be some degree of fatigue in light of the growing woes characterizing the Russian economy, the fact that many Russians have in fact died, and so forth. Nevertheless, there is no real opposition within Russia to the war, to Putin uh, for that matter as well. And as such, Putin still has a lot of freedom for maneuver in going about this war as he sees fit. What about within Ukraine? We heard Mariska talk about a change in, in, in how people are feeling, that, that when she was there in the summer, people were enthusiastic about it. Now winter is approaching. People know it's going to be cold and hard because uh, energy infrastructure might be targeted. Um, and that she says that people are exhausted by what's going on. What do we know about support in Ukraine for this war to almost two years in? Indeed, morale seems to ebb and flow as the temperature changes. Uh, I would still say, though, that the polling evidence that we have, especially from last month, indicates that Ukrainian support is still in the majority in terms of uh, fighting this war and not seeking a peace precisely because of the lack of believability of Russian promises and assurances. That's not to say that there has not been any lagging. There has been some sort of lagging uh, within Ukraine society. But as you heard from the previous speaker, attitudes are rather complicated. There is definitely a sense of fatigue and weariness. It's been a long war that's been absolutely devastating for Ukraine society. But there's also very little choice precisely because of what capitulation might mean uh, for society and the cost of a peace with Russia at least at present, are just way too high to even consider. There also just doesn't seem to be meaningful progress. You had the comments from a Ukrainian general. Again, he was forced to step back from those comments, and his comments were put into greater context, perhaps, by Ukrainian leaders, suggesting that the war is at a stalemate right now. The word stalemate is a bit misleading. There has been some progress in some sectors of the battlefield for both sides even. Uh, Russia has been making very, very modest gains in some directions like in Avdivka, albeit at very high cost. More importantly, Ukraine does seem to be making some headway on the left bank of the Dnipro in Kherson, uh, where they do seem to be landing forces in a way that could prove to be very challenging for uh, Russian uh, military forces on that part of territory. Uh, that being said, this is a positional conflict. It has entered a particular attritional phase whereby um, both sides are trying to wear each other out. Uh, Ukraine is reliant on Western military assistance, and some of that military assistance has been a little slow in terms of the deliveries. Well, and, just, and, possibly. and just briefly, I mean, we're almost out of time, but there's also concern that perhaps some of that military assistance could be drying up, whether it's in the United States, um, whether it's it's from, you know, steps being taken by U.S. and European officials to speak with Ukrainian officials to figure out how this war ends. How big of a concern is that, do you think, to people in Ukraine? It is a concern, and some of that is a bit self-inflicted on the part of Western countries. Now, I don't want to diminish the sheer volume of military assistance that Ukraine has received uh, from 
the West. It's much bigger than what people expected in January of 2022. But it is true that ammunition production is very much lagging, uh, despite promises made by various uh, governments, including our own here in Canada. And that is a problem, especially because Ukraine is fighting an artillery war against Russia, and Russia has mass to bear. And so ammunition production would be absolutely essential for helping to level the playing field, at least in that respect. It doesn't sound like this ends anytime soon. So long as both sides believe that they can fight on, the war will continue. We'll leave it there. Alexander, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Alexander Lenoshka is a political science professor at the University of Waterloo. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.